Back on January 26th, a gentleman from Pomfret made a tremendous showing on Jeopardy. His name is John Guskowski. He's a planning consultant from Pomfret, and he joins us now to talk about his runner-up effort when he was able to compete on Jeopardy. John, good morning. Thank you for joining me today. I was rooting for you, buddy, but man, Troy Meyer won his sixth show in a row that day. And one thing about that show that really got my attention was how far behind you felt, but a daily double in the second round really changed your fortunes, didn't it? Yeah, I, uh, well, it's, it's, as it turns out, you know, you don't realize this, I think, as much watching at home, but it's a game of buzzer speed, and, and a lot of times it's a game of luck, you know? I, I was, I was fortunate to finally have sort of figured out the, the buzzer timing kind of late in the game, and then, you know, landed on a, a daily double with enough money to at least make it a, a closer game. It was, it's, it's a lot of fortune. And speaking of the buzzers, were there times you tried to buzz in with the answer, you knew it, but somebody else got to it first in the right timing? That's, that's absolutely correct. I mean, you know, Jeopardy is now a, enough of a, a, an obsession with, a, with the Internet community that they publish um, our statistics. And so I actually know for a fact that I buzzed in, I attempted a buzz in, let's say, more times than Troy. Um, I think uh, 47 attempts to Troy's 44. But he was just faster when, you know, most of the time when we buzzed in on the same clue, he got there faster. John, how long have you been a fan of Jeopardy? I, well, as long as I can remember. You know, I still have very vivid memories of that old Cheers episode where Cliff Clavin was on Jeopardy. Um, and, uh, you know, I've watched it, you know, as, as faithfully as possible for, I don't know, probably 35 years. So when did appearing on Jeopardy, or at least applying to be on Jeopardy, show up on your radar? Uh, I had a friend in college um, who auditioned. And, you know, before that, didn't really realize that was something that, you know, people could actually do. Um, but this was, you know, again, I'm, I'm getting up there. So this is really before the Internet really took off. Um, so this is just after college. It's probably 25, 26 years ago where you were still asked to send in a postcard with your name on it. Um, and they would, if your card got picked, um, they would call you for an audition. So, you know, back in the late 90s, I sent in 100 postcards to Jeopardy with my name on it and, and got my first audition uh, in Boston probably in, I don't know, 90, 1998. And so I've been, I've been trying ever since. Well, talk about the role that your son played in getting you finally on the Jeopardy stage. Yeah. Um, well, so so uh, my my kid is is non-binary. They go by they and them. Um, Gus was actually um, picked to be on the Jeopardy College Championship uh, last year in 2022, um, and uh, did not win, but was was delightful and and a great sport and uh, made a fantastic impression with the uh, contestant coordinators and and was good enough to sort of put in a good word for me and said, "Listen, my dad has been." trying out for jeopardy for 25 years and you know next time you you see his name pop up on your you know on your random list uh give him a call and so i i definitely credit gus to uh for for getting me getting my foot in the door is that how you found out that you're going to be on they call you they don't email you or write a letter or things like that um they uh boy it's it's email and text um i i got the you know you you take uh the the online test and then if you pass it, you go into a contestant pool. Um, and then I was emailed uh, to, to participate in, like, a Zoom game.
Zoom, you know, mock game so they could sort of see how I how I competed, how I appeared on screen. Um, and then a couple of months after that, I, I got a text. John, in those Zoom tests, did you wear your yellow glasses? <laughs> well, uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember. I, I, I uh, enjoy getting very inexpensive uh, frames online, so I have a whole a whole rainbow of different frames. So I, I couldn't say which ones were, were that day. Now, you were very distinctive when you were on that stage with those yellow glasses, and there's a story about those yellow glasses that involves the game where the 40-game champion Amy Schneider lost. Tell me about that. Yeah, so it's it's funny. I um, I, I certainly remember that game uh, where a, a librarian uh, named Roan Talsma uh, dethroned Amy Schneider, and he was wearing some very distinctive yellow glasses and, and is a you know, it's a, it's a bald guy of about my age. Um, and uh, so when I was sort of planning my, my uh, wardrobe, I, I thought about him. Um, and as it turns out, my appearance was exactly one year after Roan's. So, so January 26th. Well, I love the glasses, but what we couldn't see on screen were the shoes. Did you think they might show your shoes? And what do they look like? <laughs> No, I, I knew that the shoes were unlikely given the given the podium um, in the way, but yeah, I've, I've also I've also um, developed sort of a fascination with a, a shoe designer out of uh, Vancouver called John Flubog, and and he has some pretty wild wild shoes. Um, these were um, sort of a green uh, woven leather with sort of a floral heel um, that I actually I posted my shoe choice on 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 Twitter that night um, because there is a there is a, a Twitter Jeopardy alumni who comments on everyone's wardrobe, and, and um, I thought she might appreciate that. By the way, on your Twitter page, it looks to me like you did not tweet until a couple of days before this. You didn't even have an account, and all of a sudden you began to tweet around the 26th of January. Is that right? That's right. I, I had logged an account, you know, years ago, but never, ever tweeted. Um, and I decided that, uh, that live tweeting... Um, this would always been something fun. It's something that um, the, the the super champ Julia Collins did maybe you know ten years ago, um, and I thought that was a great way to help the audience kind of get in the mind of a of a Jeopardy contestant during the show. So yeah, that's I've I tweeted during the show and maybe a couple of days after and and haven't tweeted since. <laughs> John, your show aired on January twenty sixth. When was the show actually taped? Uh, it was taped uh, in the beginning of December, uh, the fifth or sixth of December. I can't remember exactly when, but they um, they taped you know a, a month or two ahead. Uh, they tape five shows. They tape an entire weeks of shows in a single day. Um, so you could actually see if you wa- if you go back and watch that week that I was on, Troy was definitely getting tired um, because it's such a slog. And I you know I faced him on his fourth day, um, you know, which is to say the fourth show he taped in one day. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And I think I, you know, didn't beat him, obviously, but I, I caught him when he was a little bit more tired. And, and it might not have been that close if I caught him on Monday. John, between early December and when it aired on January 26th, did you have a gag order where you couldn't talk about how you did on the show? That's, that's exactly correct. Um, they, they, you sign, a, a, you know, a, a sort of a non-disclosure with, uh, with the Jeopardy folks. Um, you know, not that there's there's betting markets or anything like that, but they want to keep you know suspense for the fans. Um, you know, keep keep it exciting. And yeah, if if you know if I go, you know spread the word um, too widely, you actually you know put your put your prize money at, at Jeopardy. They they don't uh, so to speak. 
they don't uh, necessarily pay off if if uh, you you blow the blow the secret. How many days of clothes do they tell you to bring to California? Uh, they tell you to bring three or four um, or so, and and you know there's an opportunity to kind of mix and match. Um, I think I brought you know basically sort of a modular you know set of, of sweaters and and jackets that it could have lasted you know four or five days. How do the travel arrangements work? Do you have to pay for your air and hotel? Yeah, you do. Um, I, I think maybe back in the day it was a little bit different, but I think um, it's frankly a, a supply and demand thing. You know, lots and lots of people will shell out big money to, to get to California to be on this show. Um, and so I think that, you know, they found that they don't really don't have to pay for people's uh, travel anymore. Obviously, the, the, you know, second prize money, you know, more than covered my travel expenses. Um, and, you know, we're, we're gathering experience here was, is, the, is the prize. Did you get that check yet? I have not yet. Um, it's a good question. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so what goes on before you go on stage? You're backstage. Are you able to watch the show that's being taped before yours? Yes. Um, actually, interestingly, um, we, the backstage area, the, the, you know, the quote-unquote green room, is actually the set of Wheel of Fortune um, because those two shows tap, uh, tape um, – in, in, in adjacent studios and use the same technical crew. So the cameraman, the sound man and stuff, um, the, the makeup people are actually the same with Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. So they tape on opposite weeks. So basically, um, we were all sitting in the, in the Wheel of Fortune audience in a dark studio, uh, basically watching the shows on, uh, on monitors. That's tremendous. And from what I heard, you actually sat next to Troy Meyer, the guy that beat you, at lunch, that was before the show. What was that like? Yeah, that was. I, I mean, that's that was a little harrowing. I because you know we just watched three episodes of him completely eviscerating uh, our fellow competitors. You know, folks that we had been spending the day with and getting friendly with, and and Troy was just mowing them down. Um, and so then we all went off to lunch together after that third show. Um, and yeah, no, I sat next to him, and and I said to him. Um, because he was, unfortunately, you know, for the, for our competitive spirit, he was a delightful guy. Very sweet, very soft-spoken, very polite, um, very modest. And I, I told him, you know, it, it made it, he was making it extremely hard to, to hate him and want to destroy him. That's a tremendous story. Johnny Gilbert, the announcer, is not in studio anymore. He does it from home. Do you hear him intro you when they first show you on screen? Uh, no. No. Um, Actually, because uh, he hadn't taped it yet, um, it was actually Sarah, um, one of the, the old Clue crew, who is now one of the producers of the show, uh, basically stood in for, for Johnny with the studio audience, and then they added uh, Johnny Gilbert's name later. Oh, that's good stuff. Do they ask you where you want to be identified as from? They introduce you as a planning consultant from Pomfret, but you're a Milwaukee guy, and sometimes when we introduce the contestants on Jeopardy, they say originally from. In your case, you're from Pomfret, but originally from Milwaukee. Were you given that option? Um, I suppose I would have been. I didn't even actually much uh, think that much of it. You know, with all due respect to Milwaukee, I've I've now lived in Pomfret for, or I mean, I've lived in Connecticut for more than half my life, and you know, I've got a Red Sox tattoo, and I'm I feel a, like a New Englander. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, my, um, the, the kid, um, the kid, my friend Jake, who won the very next day, Jake Diaruda, um, lives in Taunton, Mass., but definitely did want to be identified as being originally from Ludlow, Vermont. Um, 
so I think I, if I had made an issue of it, um, they probably would have said uh, originally from Milwaukee, but, but I wanted to represent Pomfret. So, John, how nervous were you when you were on the show? I, I wasn't terribly nervous. I think I get a little bit of nerves right before, you know, the, the game started, right, you know, as Ken walked in. Um, but it, it, there's, there's no time. You're just, you're rushed from the, you know, rushed from the green room. They touch up your makeup. They put on your microphone. They rush you to the stage. It's, um, it's a blur. And, and there really wasn't time uh, to, to be nervous. You're just overwhelmed by events. You did really well in the music categories. In fact, your first answer was Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed, and later on you got Rio by Duran Duran. But you're still kicking yourself over Careless Whisper by Wham, aren't you? I'm never going to dance again, Wayne. The lyric from the song. It was a bizarre clue. I, I didn't know what it was either. It had to do with saxophone music, and in that song there's a sax, and Ken Jennings read the clue, wah, 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 wah. I had no idea what he was talking about, and apparently neither did you. Yeah, no, I think he confused us all, sounding a little bit like uh, Charlie Brown's teacher uh, in the cartoons. How long did it take to tape the 30-minute show? Was it real time, or do they stop tape? Did it take 45 minutes? Do they do it in 20 without the commercials? Boy, Wayne, I don't remember. I, I, you know, you don't, you, I wasn't, you know, wasn't wearing my watch, didn't get the chance to look at my phone. Um, it felt like about five minutes, but I, I suspect it was probably a, about that solid half hour, maybe 40 minutes, because um, in between the Jeopardy and Double Jeopardy round and the Jeopardy and the, and the Double Jeopardy and Final round, um, they would stop and, and actually um, Ken would repeat a couple of clues that they felt like he flubbed a little bit or his timing or his pronunciation was wrong. So he would, you know, sort of re-pick up some of, some of his uh, script. The big daily double move that we talked about in the second round was the category of 12 letters or more. And you came up with the answer existentialism. You paused a little bit before that, but you were pretty comfortable with that response? Yeah, I was, I was so comfortable, in fact, that my recollection of that was that I answered immediately, that I, I said it without pause. But so it was, was, very, was very surprised to see how much I appeared to be hemming and hawing about it. I guess I, I, you know, was, was, my instinct was, was obviously not to, not to speak too fast and make sure that I was calm and saying the right thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I knew it right away. I was impressed. End of the second round, Troy, who eventually won, had 24,400. You had 22,200. Ken Jennings called you. He said that was a good second-place score. And then came Final Jeopardy. Time to find out which of our contestants are history buffs. History is the Final Jeopardy category, and this is the clue. Returning home in 1493, Columbus stopped in the Azores at an island with this name. Also, something he'd lost off the Haiti coast. 30 seconds. Good luck. Emma Moore in the middle had a valiant comeback after a run-in with a tough daily double. Let's see what she wrote down. What is Nina? I'm afraid that's not correct, Emma. You wagered 2,799, leaving you with a buck. John Gaskowski in second place, 22,200. That's a good second place score. What did he write down? What is Santa Maria? Yes, Emma had the right idea, to, but it was Columbus's <laughs> flagship that wrecked off the coast of Haiti. So you're going to add to that 11,100. You have $33,300. And for the moment, the lead. Troy Meyer giving us his best poker face. Did he know it was Santa Maria? 
was riding late. He got it in. What is Santa Maria? He wagered enough. $20,001. Wow. $44,401 today. And now a six-day total of 214802 Another well-played game. I'm glad you were here to see it. Well, that was close, but no cigar for our guest this morning, John Guskowski, who lost to Troy Meyer with that final Jeopardy. So give me your thought process during that. I'll be honest, when I saw the clue, I didn't know what it was. Did you know right away? I thought about it a little bit. I, and, you know, the, the clue being something that he lost off the coast, it, it sounded to me like a shipwreck. And so then it was a matter of remembering what the names of his boats were and, and trying to figure out if the name of Nina Pinta or Santa Maria sounded like it could have been an island off of Portugal. And uh, I guess, you know, you put all that together, and I think it was, I guess, an educated guess. I didn't know for sure. You talked about how Troy was so fast on the buzzer, and I was intrigued by you saying that the answer was still forming in your brain, and he's already buzzed in. So eventually you got more comfortable and buzzed in quicker. Exactly how do you formulate the ability to buzz in at the exact right time? I, you, you have to figure it out. I mean, they, they, is, they tell you the system which is after the clue is read, um, there's a series of lights that go on on the side of the board, and uh, a, a technical crew member activates the buzzers. Um, but if, as I found out in the first round, if you're waiting to see the lights, um, you're too late. Uh, it's, Troy was already in. So I had to retime it um, to basically start buzzing in as Ken was saying the last word of the clue. So, you know, a, a quarter of a second early, I tried to tell my brain to start buzzing in. Do you get a chance to talk to Ken Jennings at all off camera? Uh, very little. He, um, he's, he's very busy getting ready for the next shows. Um, he did, you know, introduce himself and, and chat with uh, the week's worth of um, contestants before the show started taping a little bit. Um, and otherwise, you know, we came, he came around the podium to take sort of our official press photo. And, and I will say he did tell me I had nice shoes. <laughs> Which we couldn't see on camera. John, we're proud of you. You came very close to knocking off Troy Meyer, the champion. You did very well. Congratulations on that. And uh, don't spend your money all in one place. Okay, thanks, Wayne. John Guskowski, a planning consultant from Pomfret, who came in second place on Jeopardy back on January 26th. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.